I am so glad you're here this morning. I love that song we just finished singing. Nothing formed against me shall stand. Do you, <laughs> do you know you have an enemy who is coming against you? Uh, we've been talking about the armor of God and how we can be protected from the attacks of the enemy. And, and I don't know how your morning has been, but my morning has been attack after attack after attack. Uh, anybody else this morning like that? Arguments in the car? Arguments with kids? Anybody? Am I the only one? We had, we, we've had technology failures. I apologize to all of you sitting over here. You might want to move during the break. I don't know. Uh, my iPad fell when we got here to church this morning. Um, oh, and now I cut my finger. Um, it's just a flesh wound. Anyway, you're in for good stuff today. Because the enemy doesn't want you to be here. The enemy doesn't want you to hear what you're going to learn today. So uh, this is a good day today. I'm so excited. Let's, let's pray. God of angel armies, God of hosts, you are on the throne. God, you are fighting for us. And um, I'm so grateful, God, that uh, you are the one who is arrayed in battle army, uh, armor and you are fighting on our behalf. And you are giving us your armor so we can stand firm against the enemy. And today, Lord, I pray that there will be nothing that the enemy throws at us that will cause us to stumble. God, protect us today from the attacks of the enemy. We can learn, we can worship, we can celebrate with or without technology. We don't need technology, so you technology demons, you you don't matter today. Because in Jesus' name, we're going to be God's people together today. And Lord, we just want to give you thanks and give you honor today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you were here with us last week, Jeff taught, and Jeff did a great job. I want to say thank you to Jeff. Um, And I want to give you just a brief report of why Chris and I were gone. Uh, We were at the Great Falls campus last Sunday, and uh, uh, I, I was able to team teach with Pastor Bob. We had a great time. But there was a specific purpose that we were there. Uh, We're going through a a little bit of an organizational change at the Great Falls campus. And many of you have met Pastor Bob. Many of you really, really love Bob and his wife, Jean. They're great people, great leaders. And they're not leaving. they're They're not moving away, none of those kinds of things. But we are doing a little bit of a reorganization of the Great Falls campus. And I just want you to know, Uh, because we need you to pray about it. Bob has been feeling for about six months like he's a square peg in a round hole, and, uh, and he wants to just focus his ministry kind of in a different area at Connect Church in the Great Falls campus. And so we talked about that with the, with the, with the Great Falls Church last Sunday. And, uh, and I don't have the time today to give you the whole report. And so this is what I want to ask you to do. If Connect is your home church uh, and you want to know what's going on, which you should, and if you'd be willing to pray with us, which we need you to do, Would you do me this favor? Would you listen to the Great Falls podcast from last Sunday sometime this week so you are fully aware of what's happening there at that campus? You can find that online at connectchurchonline.com or you can access that podcast through the app or in the iTunes store if you use a, a podcast player, all that kind of stuff. But look for the message called What's Next? Uh, from the Great Falls campus, and I hope you'll listen to that and keep Bob and Jean in your prayers and that whole campus as we go through this change process, and I would really appreciate that. 
All right? All right. We're in the middle of a series called The Armor of God. And if you're joining us today for the first time or if you're back after being away for a while, uh, we're on week three of this message series. And our theme for this series is God fights for us. God fights for us. And we've talked about the fact that we have a spiritual enemy that is always lobbing darts at us and your spiritual enemy wants to take you out. And the first week we talked about the spiritual realm and who your enemy is and what his tactic is and why you don't have to be afraid of him. Last week when Jeff was teaching, he talked about the belt of truth and how we are positioned in truth and that belt is the anchor for all the rest of the armor and, uh, and that is so important to know. And today we're going to be talking about the breastplate of righteousness. But first, before we get to that message, we're going to take a short break and we'll let the kids go back to their classrooms and all of you that are here can grab some refreshments. We've got donuts, coffee, fruit, all that kind of stuff. But today, while you're mingling, I have a homework assignment for you. Well, not really homework. I have a conversation that I want you to start as you're mingling today, all right? I'd like you to find at least one other person and share with them one thing that you did right this week, all right? So as you're mingling, would you just walk up to somebody? You might not even know them, but just ask them, what is one thing you did right this week? And then we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness together. So kids, go ahead and go to your classrooms. Adults, go ahead and mingle and give that topic a little bit of thought. Isn't that brutal? All right, let's watch. This, I'm sorry, it's really awful, but this video makes me laugh really hard. So uh, play it one more time, would you? (laughs) At least he got a new blanket. Nice, Josh. (laughs) Oh, that makes me laugh. Now, this, this, video, this video was obviously not shot in America, but I, I, I just want to play with this for a little bit. And I want you to imagine something with me, if you would just kind of let your imagination go. Imagine that this was something that happened right here in America, and somebody shot this video, and the video made it onto KBZK News, 5 o'clock evening news here in Bozeman. Can you imagine what would happen? I mean, our whole community would be in an uproar demanding justice for this poor man who was clearly the victim of a well-organized crime ring, right? And, and so there would be this outrage in our community and a demand for justice. How many of you would be demanding justice for that poor victimized man, right? Because that, that was just mean, you know? So the DA would launch an investigation and they would go in, they'd be examining the video, trying to figure out who all these people are. One of the things that they would discover, and, and, and maybe you pick this up, this was obviously a well-organized gang of thugs that carried out this crime. And there was a bunch of them. There was the guy that, first of all, stole the guy's wallet as soon as it came out. He was a runner, and he grabbed the guy's wallet. And then there was the guy that was in the disguise who stole the motorcycle. So that's two. And then there was a pair that came by riding on another motorbike. One was driving, and one had the mission of grabbing the cell phone out of the guy's hand. So there's four. And if you think about it, there's also a guy videotaping this thing. He knew this was going down, so he was holding his cell phone videoing this thing because he just thought it was really funny. So there's at least five people involved in this crime, right? And so imagine that the DA launches an investigation and, and these five people are caught and they're brought into a courtroom and they're charged with the crime. And everybody would be holding their breath 
the day of the verdict at the end of the trial, right? And, and the judge would walk in with his verdict and, and everyone would be expecting to hear the judge say, guilty as charged. But I want you to imagine, what if instead of saying guilty as charged, the judge has a different verdict? And you might be thinking, well, why would the judge say not guilty? And that's not the verdict I'm imagining either. Imagine with me, that the judge walks in, asks the defendants to stand, the five of them stand, the bailiff reads the charge, and then the judge says, congratulations, guys. You five men are in the right. You five men are in the right. Now, as an American citizen, how would you feel if that took place in a courtroom here in America? Wouldn't you be outraged? You'd be furious if that happened in an American courtroom because we stand for justice and we want somebody who does the crime to do the time and we, we would want that poor man who's victimized to be vindicated in a court of law, all right? And so just imagine the outrage that would take place if that had happened. But now I want you to think about something different. Imagine with me that instead of being an onlooker demanding justice for this poor victimized man, what if you are one of the five gang members? What if you're one of those people on trial standing in front of a judge and you know that you did the crime and the judge looks at you and says, congratulations, you are in the right. You are in the right. How would you feel? Anybody feel relieved? You all are really quiet this morning. Sadie, you would feel relieved. You'd feel real bad. Why would you feel bad? Because you knew you did something was wrong. Sadie's got an overactive guilt complex over here. <laughs> you might be surprised. You might feel a, a weight of, of uh, uh, you know, a weight that's been taken off your shoulders. You might feel deeply relieved. You might feel grateful for the judge. You might be mystified. You might not quite understand what just happened. You might have all these emotions. And this is exactly what God does for you through Jesus. I want you to think about that. What I just described, the scenario of a judge saying you are in the right when you're clearly in the wrong is what God does for you and for me through Jesus. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's our big idea that we're going to be talking about today. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Jesus makes me right, even though I was in the wrong. Jesus makes me right, even though I was in the wrong. Now, what God has done for us is really hard to comprehend because there's a big question that we have to wrangle with when we start thinking about righteousness and justification and forgiveness. And the big question that I want to ask today for us to just think about together is this, and it's up on, on the middle screen here. How can justice be served? How can justice be served and sinners be justified? How can that be? How can that be? I want you to listen to a few verses from Romans chapter 3 that that if you've been a churchgoer for any length of time, you've probably heard these verses. Romans chapter 3 says, No one is righteous, not even one. Turn to your neighbor and say, No one is righteous. 
And, and all the wives are saying amen to their husbands, right? No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Now, when you hear verses like that, it, it begs the question, how can justice be served and sinners be justified? There's another verse in Romans chapter 3 that you might be familiar with. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Every single one of us falls short. None of us is righteous according to Romans chapter 3. So if everybody has sinned, does God just overlook justice in order to forgive me? Do I just get away with highway robbery like those thugs in the video? How is it that I cannot be punished for my sins and God can still be just and fair? That's the question that I want us to wrestle with today. And to answer those questions, I'm going to take us to one of the earliest stories in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. If you've got your Bibles with you today, I want to invite you to turn to to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, these verses are not going to be up on the screen, so I want to encourage you to to use a Bible. We've got some back there at the Welcome Center if you want to borrow one, or you can use your phone, whatever you've got. But Genesis chapter 3 is a really important story uh, that's going to help us process this a little bit. In Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we read about the creation of everything, Uh, We read about the creation of the world. We read the creation of man. We read about the creation of woman. And then when we get to Genesis chapter 3, we read this very important story uh, that's come to be known as the fall of man or the temptation, the introduction of sin into God's perfect world. And we're going to pick it up right at the beginning of this chapter, Genesis chapter 3. Here's what we read. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, if you're familiar with this story, you might remember that the serpent represents our enemy, the devil or Satan. And this serpent is having this conversation with the woman. And and I want you to see the tactic here of the serpent. He says, did God really say Really? Did God really say that? From a couple of weeks ago, do you remember the tactic of the enemy? He always lies. And here the enemy is attacking what God said. Did did God really say that? Really? And the woman replies in verse 2. She says, of course, we may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And watch what the serpent says. You won't die. And here he's lying to this woman, just unequivocally lying. You won't die. He's in direct opposition to what God already said. You won't lie. You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good 
and evil. And this is what the enemy does. He lies to us. And, and this is why uh, last week Jeff talked about how important the belt of truth is. We've got to have that firmly buckled in place because the enemy comes at us with lies. Verse 6 says, The woman was convinced and she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Shame. What a terrible curse shame is. Wouldn't you agree with me? Where does shame come from in this story? Well, very clearly, shame is the inevitable result of disobedience to God. Shame is the inevitable result of disobedience to God. Our culture would like us to believe that shame is the result of a patriarchal, intolerant religious system. In, in a short word, church. Our, our culture would believe that you and I are the result, are, 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 the, are the perpetrators of shame on everybody else. But if this story is to be believed, and I I think it is, shame is really the result of disobeying God. And that's why people feel shame. So I want you to look at what Adam and Eve did. At the end of verse 7, it says, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, this is a pretty familiar story, and I don't know if you've ever really thought about this before. But sewing fig leaves together to make clothing isn't really the smartest idea. Have you ever thought about this? I mean, fig leaves aren't particularly sturdy, right? And you can just imagine sewing them together with whatever they had for thread or whatever. You know, I I can't imagine. And trying to cover yourself up and then they would inevitably tear as soon as you moved a certain way. And pretty soon there's melt wardrobe malfunctions all over the place, right? And, you you know, fig leaves were not an effective covering. They never could be. And verse 8 says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden, and so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They felt shame. They covered up the shame but they still felt like they needed to hide from God. And this is the same thing we do with shame. We we learn a lot of really great stuff from this story because we deal with shame in the same way. We hide from God. Whenever we feel shame and whenever we know that we have disobeyed God and we feel that nagging, shameful emotion, we hide from God as well. And, and we hide in, in a number of different ways. If, if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you feel shame, it might be that you hide from God by just ignoring him. And you say, I'm not, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to read my Bible. I, I, just, I, I just don't want to feel God's presence because I feel shame. So we hide from him. Or maybe you don't really believe that God exists. And I would suggest to you that you consider this as a possibility that maybe actually by saying that you don't believe God exists at all, you are actually hiding from him. Because it's easier to pretend he doesn't exist than to struggle with the demands he has for our lives that we think are unreasonable, kind of like the serpent in the garden. It's easier just to say, I don't don't believe in God. 
And, and some of us go there. And what we're doing is just like, like, like the serpent in the garden is we're attacking the truthfulness of God whenever we hide from him. But in the same way, we also cover our shame. And Adam and Eve covered their shame with fig leaves. And, and in, my, in my experience, I see people who cover their shame with something that is really as ineffective as fig leaves. And we seem to break one of two ways. One of the fig leaves that we we use is working harder. We just say, I feel shame. I feel like a failure. I know I've blown it. I, I, I don't like the guilt that I feel, so I am going to work. I'm going to be better. I'm going to make sure that I never do that thing again. So we make resolutions and we, we try to set parameters in our lives and, and, and we, just, we just work really hard at making sure that we don't fail again. We become perfectionistic. Because we want to make sure that God approves of us or our spouse approves of us or mom approves of us or dad approves of me and we just work as hard as we can. We sometimes fall into that trap of comparing ourselves to each other and, and, and this is one of the ways that we just try to work harder. We say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, look at him. He's just falling down drunk. I'm, I'm better than him. Or, I'm better than her. She's a terrible mom. You, you know, I'm, I'm better. And, and so, we, we just work harder to cover the shame. And it never really works too well. I asked several of you this morning, what is one thing you did right this morning? Did you get some interesting answers when you were talking about that today? I, I asked Vicki Riojas, she's sitting right back here, what is one thing you did right this morning? She said, I did everything right this week. So maybe you're falling into this work harder category. And I, she, was kind of, she said that kind of tongue in cheek. But sometimes our perfectionism just leads us to, to cover up the shame with working harder and it's just a fig leaf. The other, the other side that I see that happens a lot is that we just give up. We just give up. We, we just decide we're just failure so we might, might as well just give in to the failure. We might as well just indulge and so we just quit trying. We don't even try to, to do better. We don't try to please God. We don't try to please anybody. We just indulge, indulge, indulge because we, we just know we're sinners. We know we're going to screw up. So why even try anymore? We just give up. And then the shame deepens and pretty soon we find ourselves trying to medicate the pain with alcohol or with drugs or with sex or food or gambling or shopping i don't know what it is for you uh but but we just feel that nagging shame and so we try to make ourselves feel better by indulging in something else and and this is kind of where we go one of these two fig leaves is what we cover our shame with working harder really leads to nothing more than pride we just become self-impressed and and, and we, we think we can take on the shame ourselves. While giving up leads us to self-loathing. And we go deeper and deeper into this cycle of self-hatred. And I just want to ask you this morning, which one of those two things is your default? Do you go to the pride and just keep working harder and harder? Or do you go to the self-loathing and just quit trying altogether? 
Doesn't matter which way you go, I want you to know this morning that neither of these strategies makes the shame go away. They're as ineffective as the fig leaves that Adam and Eve sewed together to cover themselves. And when God comes walking into our garden, we run away and hide. Why? Because at the end of the day, we know we're guilty. And we haven't dealt with the guilt. But there's really good news, and I want to take you to verse 21 in Genesis chapter 3. If you still have your Bible open, you can look at this. Verse 21 says this. One of the most beautiful verses in all of the Old Testament says this. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And this is what I want you to see from this verse. God covered Adam and Eve's shame himself. Do you see this? They were gathering fig leaves, trying to cover up, trying to make the shame go away. And God came to them in this great compassion and he said, this is completely ineffective. I will cover your shame myself. And if you think about it, this is really profound because what did he cover their shame with? He covered their shame with animal skins, which meant there was something that had to die. The consequence of sinning in the garden was that Adam and Eve would themselves die. But God in his mercy was willing to take a substitute death in order to cover Adam and Eve with those animal skins. And if you really think this through, this is where we see a foreshadowing of the substitution, substitutionary death of Jesus himself. From the very beginning, God had this plan that when we messed it up, when we ruined our lives, there would be a substitute who would take the penalty for our sins. And God had that plan in place clear back into the Garden of Eden. I want to take you back now to Romans chapter 3 where we started this morning. And I want you to see what Paul writes here in Romans chapter 3 about Jesus. In verse 25, it says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Jesus was the one who was put to death for your sin and mine, just like those animals covered Adam and Eve in the garden. And he goes on to say, People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. And do you see that word right? If you're taking notes, I would circle the word right. Because the word right is the root word of, have you, are you with me? The root word of righteousness. And so we are made right with God. We are made righteous when we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. It's not, righteousness is not something that we earn or that we achieve or that we do. We are declared righteous when we come to Jesus. Verse 26, Paul goes on, he says, God did this to demonstrate his own righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So God covers us in his righteousness just like he covered Adam and Eve, and, he, his, and the substitute for your death and my death is Jesus himself. 
And this is why I can say this morning that Jesus makes us right, even when we are in the wrong. Do you see this? Jesus makes me right, even when I am in the wrong. And to go back to that, that illustration of the gang of thugs that, that stole all that stuff from that poor guy, the only way that the judge could pronounce them in the right in a courtroom would be if there was a substitute to pay for the penalty for their crime. And in our American justice system, we don't have substitutes that pay the penalty for another person. That doesn't happen in the American justice system. Some of you wish there were. I won't call out any names. But you know what I'm talking about. If you do the crime in America and you get caught and you're convicted, you are going to pay the penalty. There is no substitute. It's different in God's courtroom. Somebody should be shouting hallelujah right here. It's different in God's courtroom because even though you're in the wrong, God sees Jesus and he declares you and me in the right. I am made right even though I was in the wrong. It's kind of like a trade. He makes me right because he was right. He took my sin and it was nailed to the cross. He, do you see how he trades places with us? My sin goes to the cross with Jesus and then he gives me his righteousness. It's an amazing thing that happens when we come into God's courtroom. So now let's talk about the armor of God because I want you to see how this works. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we've been camping out. In fact, uh, Xander Bird, Travis and Kristen's son, quoted this whole section for us last week from memory. He did an awesome job. And even though I wasn't here, he did it for me the week before. I I think he's just too cute for words. Um, But we're just going to read this one verse this morning. Ephesians 6, verse 14. Here's what Paul says. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Here's what Paul is saying. He's sitting in in a Roman prison, writing this letter to the Ephesians, sitting in jail, and he was probably guarded by a Roman guard. And he is imagining Christians in this spiritual armor. And he's describing it to us. And he's saying this, in essence. He's saying, if you don't wear Christ's righteousness, you aren't going to be protected. You aren't going to be protected from the devil's attacks. Last week, we talked about this verb, and they're highlighted up here on the screen. We talked about the verbs having fastened on. That's a past tense verb in the Greek language that the, that the New Testament is written in. And, and the breastplate of righteousness has that same verb. It's past tense. We have put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this is what I want you to know. As a Christian, you are positioned in righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that you put on like a breastplate. It's not something that you do or that you earn or that you have to be good enough. It's not a a matter of saying, well, I'm going to resist the enemy by just being really, really good this week. That's a fig leaf. The armor of God is Christ's righteousness that I just stand firmly planted in. And what's righteousness? The easiest definition I can give you is that when Jesus makes you right, When he does that for you, you become righteous. How many of you feel righteous today? One person, two people, three. Have I got a fourth? Uh, 
The truth is not very many of us feel righteous, but do you know, regardless of how you feel, if Jesus has forgiven your sins, you are righteous. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are righteous. Now look at me and say this. Look at me and say this. I am righteous. You did good. That's kind of hard to say though, isn't it? Because we don't, we feel like we're sinners. We feel like we're failures. We feel all this shame. But listen, when you come to Jesus, he just clothes you in the armor of righteousness. And Paul tells us just very simply, stand firm. Can you go back to that verse prior? Uh, One more. He says, stand therefore. Some versions say, stand firm. He's not saying put all this stuff on. He's saying, you've got it on, now stand in it. Dig your feet in. Next week, we're going to talk about what's on your feet. And do you know the Roman armor had big spikes in the shoes? And, and Paul is saying, just dig your feet in and stand in what God has given you. He's given you truth. He's given you righteousness now. Dig in and stand in it. Does that make sense? All right, you're looking at me like I'm a little bit crazed or something. I don't know, maybe I'm. <laughs> I've got a video for you up here of a, of a man who's... Uh, putting on actual Roman armor, and I think this is kind of cool. And, and this is what Paul would have looked at uh, when he was sitting in prison. A man would have been dressed in something like this. And, and this is the breastplate itself, and you'll see there's all these almost like scales of metal that are shielding him from all the attacks of his enemy. And what's important about the breastplate is to know that that breastplate shields you Shields all of your vital organs. This is one of the most important pieces of armor. The belt is critical because it supports everything else. But this shield protects your heart. It protects your lungs. It protects your liver. It protects your kidneys. If you take a hit to any of those major organs, you will die. So this breastplate is critically important. And Christ's righteousness, which he gives you as a gift, is what will protect you from all the attacks of the enemy. So when the devil tempts you to sin, friends, what you say to the devil is, sin? Why would I sin? Jesus made me right. I've got a different character. I don't sin anymore. Go away, devil. I'm not a sinner. I'm righteous. Jesus made me right. That's what we, what, what we, we say to sin. I had an interesting experience this week. I, I was at the gym uh, one day this week and I walked into uh, an office and, and a woman had left her bag open in this office and she was collecting money from members and all this cash was in her purse open on this counter and I walked into this room. I was by myself and I saw all this cash and I thought to myself, boy, I could help myself to a 20. That would be really easy to do and she probably wouldn't miss the 20 because there was a lot of money sitting there. And that, that idea just passed through my mind, and then I thought, that, that's not who I am. Why would I steal from this woman? I'm not a thief. God's given me a righteous character. I, I, I don't steal from people. I walked out of the office, didn't think anything of it again, because I don't steal. I'm not a thief. And we could apply this to any kind of attack that you would ever experience by the enemy. Think about sexual immorality. That might be a struggle for some of you. 
And I know in this culture, there's a real belief in our broader culture that if you have an opportunity to have sex with somebody, you should jump in bed as quick as you can because, hey, it's free sex, and who would, who would turn down free sex? I mean, this is a big idea in our culture, especially if there's no consequences, if you won't be caught, if nobody will know, if it's just a one-night fling, why would, I, why would I not say yes to free sex? I've heard people say this. Well, the reason why we don't as Christians is because God has made me righteous. And when the enemy says, hey, sex, we say, sex, why would I do that? Jesus made me right. That is something out of character for me. I, I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't do that anymore. And we could talk about lying. We could talk about cheating. We could talk about any kind of attack that the enemy brings upon us. And our response to the enemy is, Jesus made me right. I'm going to stand in the new character God gave me. And it all comes down to this. It's a matter of motivation, friends. It's not about trying harder. It's not about being good so God will love me or being better so God will approve of me. It's the fact that he has changed me from the inside out and now I live differently out of gratitude, out of worship, out of thankfulness to God. Not because God will somehow approve of me if I just do better. It's a completely different motivation. And I don't know, that, this makes me really excited. I don't know about you. But for me, I love this because I'm tired of living with shame. Anybody with me? I, I'm tired of the shame. And listen, when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, there is no more shame because it's not my righteousness, it's his and his righteousness is perfect. Hear what I'm saying? It's perfect. God looks at you through Jesus, and he sees perfect. Not screw up. I don't know. That's, I think that's cool. Brian, come on up, would you? I asked Brian to help me again today. He, um, he wore a, a full suit of armor a couple of couple of weeks ago for us and and today i asked him to wear one of his favorite t-shirts what's that say pride and uh actually my assistant pam made this shirt for him and uh and i asked her to get him a shirt that was a little small you know and and i asked her to get a shirt that was kind of thin all right and uh brian thank you for wearing your pride today um if you don't mind i'm just going to take a swing at you okay what do you guys think? Is that t-shirt going to protect him from the attack of the evil shovel bearer? I had a club, but somebody stole the club. And actually, the club belo- belongs to Brian. So whoever stole the club, uh, Jesus makes you right, but please return the club. Um, <laughs> but if we're going to wear pride as armor, what do you think? Is it going to protect Brian? How'd that do? Yeah. Turn that shirt around, would you? What do we got now? Self-loathing. Yeah, that, that's another, again, it's pretty thin. Not a lot of protection, right? Do you think it's going to protect him from the evil shovel bearer? <laughs> 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 
<laughs> They're calling for a trade. <laughs> all right, all right. Now, put on the armor, would you, Brian? See, pride doesn't protect us much. Working harder doesn't protect us much. The self-loathing doesn't protect us much. It, it doesn't deal with the shame. But when you understand Jesus is perfectly righteous, and when the enemy comes at you with temptation and attacks, and, and listen, this, this is just a blunt interest in, instrument. The Bible tells us that the enemy comes against us with flaming arrows, okay? I know I hurt Brian, but I didn't shoot him with flaming arrows, okay? But when they come and you're wearing Christ's righteousness, did that hurt? Did I hit you in the wrong place? A little low. I should quit. You, you've been very good. <laughs> you've been very generous. <laughs> but you get the point, friends. You get the point. We've, we've been trying to deal with the shame in all the wrong way, and it's all about just living in the righteousness that Jesus gives to us. So my simple message to you today is if, if you're trying to deal with the shame by just working harder, give it up and just, just live in Christ's perfection. And if you're living in that, in that realm of self-loathing and, and you've just given up, listen, Christ made you righteous. Today can be a new start for you to just live in the righteousness of Jesus. You're free. Let the shame go. You're free. Would you put your things aside and, and bow your heads with me? And I, I want us to pray together this morning. Jesus, I just, I just want to say thank you for giving us the gift of your righteousness. And Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to take the pain of the cross, the, the pain of death, the pain of separation from God in our place. And today there are some of us, I think, in this room that just need to comprehend that I can't be good enough. I, I, I just can't work harder. It's never going to work. And there's some of us that have just given up that are saying, I, I got to get back in the game because Jesus is just clothing me in his righteousness. And some of us today just need forgiveness and we just need a fresh start. We need a do-over. And Lord, those of us that are just in this place, we're just coming to you. And so, Jesus, in this quiet moment, meet us here. And I pray, Lord, for a powerful, miraculous shift in the spiritual realm for many of us in this room. Now, while nobody's looking around, I just want to ask you, everybody in the room, please just keep your eyes closed if, if you wouldn't mind. And I want to pray very specifically for any of you that today are saying, yes, I'm going to rise up and stand in the righteousness of Jesus. And I know this has kind of been a kind of a brainy kind of a message. And I don't know what it means for each one of you, but I just feel so strongly in my spirit today that some of you are making a huge spiritual shift. And if that's you, I want to pray for you very specifically and, and so I want to ask you to stand right where you are. Would you do that? Just stand to your feet. I'm not going to make you come up here or any of that stuff. But I want to pray for you specifically. 
if, if something is happening in your spirit and you want to say yes to the move of Jesus in your heart, stand to your feet real quickly and I'm going to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yep, a bunch of people all over this room standing to their feet. Anybody else? I don't want to leave anybody out because I, I want to pray powerfully for you. If this is doing something in your spirit, don't be afraid or shy or embarrassed. This is just you and me and God right now. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that you love each one of us. And I, I don't know what each one of us are standing for. I don't know what the underlying thing is, but you do. And, and I'm asking you, Jesus, right now to come in a very powerful way to each of these people standing right here. And Jesus, I pray that you will wash away sin if that's a need in any of these people's lives. I pray, Lord, that you will remove shame from us. Lord, so many of us have dealt with shame. Lord, today I pray for that shame and that self-loathing and that regret. Lord, just take it away from us. And help us, Lord, to just put on your righteousness like a, like a breastplate, like a, like a garment. Lord, we're just putting it on. And, and, and no longer are we going to be walking around naked and exposed for all the junk we've done in the past. Today, we are standing in, in new clothing that Jesus, you're giving us. And I pray now, Lord, that you will help us as we move forward to stand firm in this righteousness that you're giving us. Lord, help us to make better choices. Help us, Lord, to, to, to remember whenever the enemy comes at to attack us, Lord, that we'll say, nope, I am a righteous man. I am a righteous woman. And I'm not giving in to the temptation. I'm not giving in to the attacks of the enemy. From this day forward, I'm serving God with my whole being. And Lord, we pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in every life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, warrior God, for always fighting on behalf of us. You are so generous. Thank you, Lord. All right, would you have a seat? If you're taking notes this morning, let me just give you three real uh, quick next steps. Uh, and, And the first two relate to these different ways that we break and we try to use fig leaves to cover the shame. Uh, And the first one is to those of you that try to work harder and it's just, I just want to tell you to stop. Stop trying to be good enough. All right? It's not about you being good enough. It's about Jesus changed you and now I'm just going to love Jesus by honoring him with my choices in my life. It's not about being good enough. He, He loves you unconditionally. Now just stand firm. And secondly, for those of us that that go to that self-loathing place, don't give up. Listen, you, you haven't blown it so bad that God won't forgive you, that God won't welcome you back. He loves you. Keep going. Stand firm in the righteousness that he gives you. And then the last next step is a, is a reading assignment for this week. If you want to go deeper, some of this is a little hard to understand, you want to go deeper there's some great verses from romans and from galatians that i think will help you a lot and i encourage you to read those this week all right all right thanks for being here this morning